Hey folks, and thanks for listening to Saul Searching on the FYIZ podcast feed. I'm John, and this time my friends Becca and Jonathan Eaton are back to discuss the seventh episode of Better Call Saul's sixth and final season. This episode is called Plan and Execution, and it was written and directed by longtime Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul scribe, the great Thomas Schnauz. Now here's Saul Searching. <laughs> Hello, Becca. Hello, Jonathan. Hi. Hello. Thank you for coming back on Saul Searching to talk about the, people are calling this a mid-season finale. I think you yeah. get that a lot nowadays. I don't like it. Well, I, I, I don't mind having one more chance to pause and wonder and look forward to, and you know what I mean, and simmer. But if it were going much longer than it's going, it's like, it's like a six-week break before we get back for the, the last six yeah. episodes of the season. I don't feel too tortured by that. But I, in the past, I have felt like, they, I don't know, that it feels kind of arbitrary that it's cut in a certain point and you just have to wait. But this feels like a, a, a definite point you can sit and simmer. <laughs> on I am point. glad it's happening because uh, we're going yeah. on vacation yeah. for like a little over two weeks. So it's like, it stops now. We can rest <laughs> and not have any episodes to watch until we leave. And then it comes back like the week after we get back. Yeah. Both this. It's amazing timing for us personally. It, it so is. I really appreciate it. Is it is perfectly tailored to us. Um, this show and uh, Stranger Things are both doing the same thing where they're like mid-season finale and they're only taking like a month or so like off and then they're coming back for like the rest of it. I guess I, I'm fine with that. Like, I'm fine with that amount of time. I, I I think it's been shows in the past that have really annoyed me where they're like, it's the mid-season finale, and then it will be six entire months. And I'm like, that's a season. You just, just, yeah. call, oh, this, yeah. just call it a right. season. It's called like, a short it's, season. It's called a short season. Just call yeah. it, yeah, call it what, the next What exactly is point. the benefit to doing a mid-season finale? Like, why do they do this? I think they do it for different Attention reasons. Span, right? Maybe? Um, well, with a weekly show like Saul... I think that it's a little different because it's still more in that network television, even though it's cable, it's like there's still that sense of trying to get eyes to watch it and mm. to keep coming back. The streaming model, everybody knows you, you get to be part of the conversation and then it's over in a weekend if you drop all your episodes at yeah. once. So I think there's an effort made to kind of say, well, let's like for Stranger Things, let's like, let's pretend these shows came out weekly <laughs> and withhold the last two for for like seven weeks or whatever after the first seven come out. I think that's what yeah. they're doing. The, the, it's yeah, not the, like half and half. The Stranger Things yeah. thing is also is very weird this season. And I'm not, this is the last thing I'll say about Stranger Things because I don't care that Good. much. But it's like, it's a, it's a nine episode season. They're releasing the first seven episodes this Friday. Yeah. And the last two episodes, which are both like feature length long, they're releasing like in another like month. They're taking like a month or so off and then cool. they're releasing the last two. So they're taking like, yeah. So there's like, it's broken up into two parts. And I feel like for, like you said, for that, I think it's like a, they want to keep the conversation going and like, not just like blow their load in one weekend. Well, I like with Better Call Saul that, I mean, it is airing on TV, but then it's on streaming, even though it's, mm -hmm. you know, another service to pay for it for one particular show. Um, I would rather watch shows week to week, even on streaming, than have to binge them all at once. Yeah, because I, I don't want to watch shows that fast, and then you have to because otherwise you get spoiled like two days later yeah. if you don't finish it fast enough. I don't yeah. want to be required to yeah. watch something in a weekend because everyone's gonna be like, mm, "Did you watch it yet?" I'm like, "Uh, -uh. <laughs> no, I was busy." Yeah. 
<laughs> or I didn't feel like it. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and don't assume that everybody rushes to watch it, even though I do yeah. have this little, because I do this podcast, I do have a little flurry of messages from people when a new episode comes out. It's like, mm-hmm. I just watched it. Oh my God, did you watch it? You did that um, to us last night. Yeah, well, but I didn't I didn't do anything. I didn't <laughs> yeah. say, I did. That's I gave you three exclamation points and that could have applied to anything. <laughs> that um, could have applied that, to every episode I, of yes. this show. <laughs> I was just going to say the exact same thing. Every single episode of Better Call Saul, three exclamation points. Um, but but also, t- to your original question, Becca, there's another thing that I don't think is the case with this season of Better Call Saul, but it might have been something where it was like two things, co- you know, uh, work together, is that networks also like, um, uh, have I think there's like the Emmy consideration period yeah. that oh, the right. first batch of episodes is in, and so now the next batch is in consideration, I think, for the following year's Emmys. Yes. Okay. It, it is a little bit weird because usually the, 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 the moment when everybody, like this year's Emmys is probably, whatever the next Emmys will be, is probably the one where everybody will be celebrating Better Call Saul because right now is when the show's ending. But mm. it's possible that a year later somebody might pick up an, a supporting actor award or whatever who might not have gotten one because gotcha. they, you know, whatever. But that being said, I, I think at this time, if, it was around the delay that they needed to account for Bob Odenkirk's uh, heart mm. problems. Yeah. That, uh, I think it was in the filming of the next episode, episode eight, that um, that he had his, you know, whatever incident it was that caused him to, to like, to like check himself out and decide he needed to go down. So I think that like that gave them a time for a production delay. Like I heard them saying that they, they truly couldn't have put them out weekly from the start date that I guess AMC wanted one in the spring again for that, maybe that Emmy consideration thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. They wanted it this, this Emmy round or this spring for whatever other reason shareholders were probably involved. Like we, we promised them new Saul, you know? Yeah. Um, So, so they wanted to get them out when they did, but they said they couldn't have done like, they're actually working on the last episodes. So like right now to the extent that they could not have had them all ready for just weekly from, you know, 13 weeks forward. So, um, so I think it's, this is a rare case where the star really did cause a delay, but oftentimes it's a network decision or a ratings decision or a, you know, it can even be a salary decision. Uh, anyway, there's a lot of things that go into it, but I don't know that they haven't been too public about anything except for the, um, just the various delays with COVID and then Bob Odenkirk's Mm -hmm. health. Yeah. Which is funny because when we were watching this, (laughs) so (laughs) to jump into the episode early on when they were, um, doing their reshoots <laughs> and it was so stressful and uh, Bob Odenkirk was running that envelope out to the guy in the car John was like well no wonder he had a heart attack <laughs> this is so stressful I have been thinking this whole season it's the same <laughs> It was the, it's the same thing as when we watched um, Fast and Furious 7 was it what, what, the movie that Paul Walker died during whatever uh-huh. the Fast and Furious movie was that Paul Walker died during I remember watching it going when like I wonder when you know, I wonder when, when he died, yeah. like, is this him? Is it a stunt double, his brother? And the same thing with the season of Better Call Saul, like, I've often been wondering, like, oh, I wonder when he had his heart attack, like... I completely forgot. Because... Uh, about his heart attack? Yeah. Oh. I Like, I was just... I, th- I was thinking about it, and then I was just thinking, like, it seems like such a stressful, like, sh- it's such a stressful show to watch. The last scene of the episode we're talking about today, possibly yeah. that's what did it to <laughs> yeah. him. Um, but I wonder if you're just going to notice, oh, he looks more gaunt for a couple of episodes yeah. or something like that, or for a few scenes or something. Well, it, it, so uh, real quick, quick tangent. Um, John, you see Mr. Show, right? Yeah. Okay, so I remember an anecdote about Mr. Show, and this is back in the 90s. This is like, Jesus Christ, what, 25-ish don't, years ago? Shut up. Wh- whatever. Don't, don't yeah, I know, I know. Shut I know. Up. I'm sorry, 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 sorry. Time doesn't pass. We're babies. Five <laughs> years ago when Mr. Show yes. first aired. Um, We're full of potential. 
When Mr. Show first came out on DVD, and it had been like a cult thing for a very long time when it came out on DVD, it was very fun, and there's like commentary on every episode. So I remember buying it and watching every episode with commentary, because it's David Cross and Bob and Kirk and like, and John Ennis, who is in this goddamn episode. Um, and this all goddamn people, episode. <laughs> all, all, all the people in Mr. Show, like talking about, you know, all the sketches. And I don't remember which season of Mr. Show it was, but like... I remember everyone, specifically David Cross, like ribbing Bob Odenkirk, even at the time, for being so serious, even about Mr. Show, which is like sketch comedy. But he's so intense that he gave himself, I think, like a hernia or something. He was so stressed out and like and and just like serious about making Mr. Show, he put himself in the hospital. Aww. Like he literally like... They had to like stop filming whenever they were filming because he just like collapsed. And this is in the fucking nineties that this happened. Bob Odenkirk was that dedicated to the shit that he did at like even then that he put himself in the hospital, like uh, for Mister Show from like yeah like like he Aww. was just like from exa- I think then I love him for he, that. it was exhaustion. I think it was like technically he was just suffering from exhaustion. Yeah, but then yeah, it's like well of course he had a heart attack. That's just. I guess that's who he is, <laughs> like, as an actor, which is amazing. I love him. Well, I mean, you could believe that with the stuff that he's done on this show, that he is, um, like, he does seem to embrace the physicality, the, 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 like, and I've heard even about his acting style, and even, like, one of the reasons he wanted to do the, the movie Nobody was mm. because he was, like, really wanting to use his physicality. He likes to do stunts if he can. He likes to, if it's, if there's driving involved, he wants to do the driving and that kind of thing. I think that that's the kind of thing that tells you that he, maybe he's like one of those people who would get bored if he was really just yeah. hanging out in his trailer and then doing his acting in this really controlled way. I think he wants to get in there and get involved. And he's a writer and a director and all that too. So I think that even though he hasn't had like a creative hand in shaping this show or this character, as far as we know, it does feel like tailoring it to him and what he can do means that he is kind of constantly pushing himself. And I do mm-hmm. think the weight of a show, like the lead of a show like this, does have the weight of the show on their shoulders, even within an awesome oh, yeah. set of supporting characters, and they're all like barely supporting, and sometimes they aren't supporting. Um, but I don't know. I just I think that yeah, that you that commitment is maybe what we love about Bob Odenkirk from the get go is the fact that he seems like he's there's an intensity even in his com- his comedic persona has this kind of like rah kind of aspect yeah. to it that is he very has funny. An intensity about him no matter yeah. what for sure, and it meant that this character was going to be kind of a. Um, you know, I mean, I remember one of the reasons I was so excited to see the show was just to see what does it what does it look like when somebody's building something around his his persona, and then they shocked us by giving us like this sort of somber, uh, beaten down guy who was occasionally really funny, but other times really sad. Um, well, let's get into this uh, episode. I think that um, actually before we get to the new episode, uh, Plan and Execution, a, a name that is really kind of a mean joke. Uh, it, when oh, you know, oh, no. Fuck, I didn't even think about that. God damn it, I didn't either. Um, but, <laughs> I, you know, I did not get a chance to talk to you two about That's the so last bad. one, which was the one that ended with Kim taking- Axe and Grind. Food. Yeah, Axe and Grind, which was taken from <laughs> that fateful U-turn. And I thought about um, how that one, that name made sense. But then I thought about the fact that, you know, Howard's grinding the beans for his wife's coffee at the beginning. And then there's that scene later with the axe uh, yeah. uh, battle. So, yeah. so the titles usually do well, have- The whole thing with like axe to grind. Yes. Oh, totally. Well, yeah. that, that part is like, but I'm just saying it's like, it's. It, I love that those titles seem like the kind of thing that they must come up 
just like with everything with this show, it seems like they're constantly reacting to like a new idea and, oh, we can call the, you know, the episode titles are like little in-jokes with mm-hmm. the content of the show. And you could, you you kind of are waiting to figure out why it's called that. And when you get it, you go, oh, you know, it's, it's, it's all, it all feels like a puzzle that's kind of rewarding, even yeah. though it's a pretty straightforward narrative. Um, but I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the, um, just what we learned in that episode. How did you feel about that cold open with Kim that went back to her past? And also um, that moment where I, I think this episode even showed that maybe she didn't even need to turn around. Like, it almost seems like Jimmy could have scrambled like 5% harder and done what he <laughs> needed to do. And it still would have worked because it was such a well-laid plan. I think that they really wanted to underline sort of the the foolishness almost of Kim turning her back on that opportunity. What did you feel yeah. at the end of last week? And, and, and how did you feel that like the new revelation about her childhood kind of fed into our understanding of our dear Kim? Well, not to tie it in with this episode accidentally, but- Do it on purpose. To do that exact thing that I'm saying. <laughs> um, at the end of this episode, Howard says to Jimmy, you just can't help yourself. I feel like that about Kim mm-hmm. because she- she could have left it to Jimmy, like you said. Jimmy could have done all of that without her there. She just wanted to be there because she just wanted to be a part of the plan as it was happening and not have FOMO about it mm-hmm. um, doing her other stuff. Um, but then, yeah, the cold open was really interesting. And I feel like I was confused parsing it together when it was happening. Um so I might sound really dumb, but I couldn't figure out if her mother put her up to that or if her mother just found her doing those, you know, I like think, trying to steal and then was so yeah. on board with it. She was so much more enthusiastic about it than Kim was. And this is uh, this is another case we were literally just talking about before we, we jumped on with you. Um, but just like how uh, like we, we kind of wish we had like caught up again like rewatched better call Saul because it's, it's been so long i remember so when they did that kim cold open i remembered that they had done one previous they had already done a cold open on kim as a kid and i but i couldn't exactly remember what happened in that one Do, can you refresh my memory in that one i believe she's outside of her school yeah and she's got like her cello with her and she's waiting, and her mom's late to pick her up, yes. and her mom's clearly drunk or on something. Oh, and Kim refuses okay. to get in the car with her because she's she's messed up. And the mom, I believe, drives away, like, cursing Kim out or something yeah. like that. Okay. I don't think she gets in the car. Um, but, but I just remember that cold open was that. It kind of painted this picture that she was, uh, you know, like, almost like a gifted kid who was just totally doing it on her own, that her parent was useless to her. <laughs> yeah, well, okay, yeah. so then that that's making it occur to me, the cold open from the last episode, where it kind of felt like, it, and also just me listening to the last episode of your podcast, where I think you were talking about how Kim wanted to have some discipline and wanted to get caught and was disappointed that her mother hmm. was just like, look, you got away with it. You should be happy now. Right. Kim doing that U-turn could have just been, again, she just wanted to get caught and wanted to stop being able to get away with something. <laughs> and that feeling of being superior and pulling one over on everyone else wasn't satisfying. It, um, I also get the feeling from with Kim's character, it's like, like Howard was saying, about her like she's so talented she's so good at what she does it almost seems like she's bored with how good of a lawyer she is like she's she's not content 
even doing like her job the best she can, she wants to fuck around with this other stuff. Like she wants to do cons with Jimmy. She wants to like see how far she can push it to get caught, which like that's a running theme with, with people, you know, getting caught, like, like people often will do something, uh, you know, just push things as far as they can until they're caught because they're just bored with what they're doing. Yeah, like they're bored with getting away with especially it. Especially if like if you're so good at something, it's like you're just gonna get bored with like committing crimes. <laughs> and, and so you're just gonna keep pushing it and pushing it until you get caught. Or even if you're not so good at it that you can do that, if you're so attracted to that to the to the shenanigans, you know, th- then it will distract you even from the excellence that you could be capable of. You know what I mean? So it's almost like well, she yeah. is like this nearly successful person who nearly does it. But I mean, like, there's a lot of reasons people don't achieve that great thing. You know what I mean? Like, there's a, so it could be a, any number of other problems that takes you down. But if you're well, like, and- if if you're like obsessed with this, whatever that thrill is, or the I mean, then you know, we, I was. We'll get into Howard's speech in detail, but he says they have a piece missing. Um, yeah. And then he also says you're perfect for each other, which is the other thing that's like, ugh, it's like a, a great moment of truth telling from this character. Um, well, doesn't he also who, say that speech was amazing? I don't remember yeah. who he said it to, if it was Jimmy or Kim, but didn't he say like you get off on it? Yeah. yeah. And they lit. There's literally a shot in this yeah. episode where they are like about to have sex, I guess, yeah. or they're at least making out. Like, yeah. they're on both, that conference call. They're both turned on by the fact that they just, like, pulled a con. They're doing a little axe and grind on that couch. <laughs> <laughs> Did you guys know it was Esposito and not Esposito? Um, that Giancarlo's no. name was pronounced Not until that I listened to your last oh, okay. podcast episode. Esposito? I, I may have even said Esposito last time. I think it's Esposito. Mm-hmm. It's basically just the... the um, oh. The emphasis is on the second syllable, not the third. We've all been saying Esposito. Yeah. It's Esposito. I did not know that. All right. Well, I I think that it's the Italian pronunciation that's correct and not the Spanish or the sort of Americanized version of a Spanish pronunciation that Esposito is. Yeah. I read a really good quote from him recently, and, and I'll either remember it or I'll look it up, but go ahead. Good talk. Yeah, thank you. Just chime in with it at any point, no matter what we're saying. I'm going to look it up because I'm not going to remember it. Well, let's do talk now about plan and execution. Um, this one was was you know we finally got to see the payoff of the 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 kind of planning that's been going on. I I had sort of put the rough plan together like we record these so soon after watching an episode. It was like maybe a day or two after recording it that it kind of clicked in my head of like oh that investigator that Howard hired or thinks he hired that's working for him or that he definitely hired but that he thinks is working for him. Um, this that guy could be and then i began to wonder like well if he is working for jimmy and kim when did that happen yeah and and i think <laughs> the show sort of withheld that in a way that they don't often withhold a crucial plot normally they would show you a scene of something and then let you sort of figure out if it meant anything but this time they just completely decided to hide it from us until but the we way find they out gave that us that information was amazing because yeah. we're seeing howard's mind working in a way that's proving to um What's his name? Ed Bigley Jr. Ed Bigley Jr. <laughs> in a way that he's he's proving to him that he's crazy and on drugs, but then he's showing to us even more than we already realize that he knows exactly what the fuck is going on. He's he's steps ahead of us as the audience because he put that all together yeah. and was absolutely right about it. The moment that it actually clicked 
for us for sure, though, is when Jimmy runs the pictures out to the guy in the car, and we see that it's the investigator. So at that moment, I didn't we know that was him at first. Uh, I was just same. like, that guy looks familiar. And then we saw him with Howard, and yeah. both of us were just like, wait, when the fuck did he start working for Jimmy? Yeah. <laughs> and by the way, okay, so so I, I found it the Giancarlo Esposito uh, uh, quote that I read recently. It wasn't about Better Call Saul; it was about the Mandalorian, mm-hmm. and it, his daughters. Apparently, he his daughters. And uh, they love the show, but they love it because of Baby Yoda. So apparently his daughter said to him, please don't hurt the baby, don't hurt that baby. And he said to them, I will squash the little buggered bastard. (laughs) (laughs) Which just makes me love him more. (laughs) Um, You know, he had that moment on uh, Breaking Bad where he says to Walter White, I will kill your infant daughter. And it's like a great, like, uh, you know, the way he, so maybe he's just got to think for, for, you know, he's not afraid to threaten a baby. I don't remember that, Um, but I believe it. (laughs) um, He seems like the most delightful, charming man, if you ever hear him interviewed. He's one of those actors who truly, you sort of forget that he's not the characters that he plays. He's this very... Not that you wouldn't expect him to be erudite. I just mean, you know what I mean? Sometimes like an actor has such an intellectualization about like human behavior that yeah. when you hear a really intelligent, really centered actor talk about their craft, you go, oh yeah, I've tricked myself into thinking that I know who you are because I know who Gus Fring is, you know? But yeah. you're not this at all. You're a human. <laughs> you're a human that <laughs> wants to tease his daughters by squashing baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, what, what I found about this whole, whole opening suck segment of the episode, which may have been like 20 minutes, is it was that there was this extreme pleasure to be taken from watching them do the reshoots and the humor of all that was very strong. But I was like taking less and less pleasure in it by the second as I was realizing, oh, wait, they are going to pull off. Like, it seemed yeah. like at the end of last week that they were going to have to improvise or that maybe their plan was going to blow up in their face. I thought but it was going to blow up in their face. And then, but as yeah. It, as I confronted the idea that they were going to pull it off, I began to sort of go, ugh. And we've talked yeah. about this previous. I think you and Be- you and I, Becca, we definitely have, and I think we did back when you were on the the first episode of this little this little season of Saul Searching John, where it was like we're starting to sort of curdle on their their love of shenanigans, but it still is generally fun to watch them pull something off. So, but it just gradually felt like, oh, and I, I think it was the deliberate effect of what they were doing is that you're sort of now that it suddenly is working and you're kind of going, oh, I was prepared to watch them scramble and figure something out. I wasn't really prepared to watch them successfully destroy this guy who I was beginning to sort of feel for. I I did think they would pull it off. I know even you said... Even last episode? You, I, yeah. I mean, even uh, at the beginning of this episode, I know you said that you didn't. I don't know why, but I I fully believe that they were going to pull off the whatever horrible plan they had for Howard. Mm. I d- didn't think it would end well for anybody. I didn't think anyone yeah. would end up satisfied. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to end I the thought, way it did. I didn't yeah. think it would end the way it did, but I thought they would pull it off. Yeah. I, I definitely thought the way the last episode ended, I thought it was going to fall apart quickly. Cause I, I like, I keep, I, I keep wondering and it's like the problem with the prequel. And it's not like, I'm not saying that as a, a, uh, 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 anything against the show because the show is <laughs> nearly immaculate but like i keep just wondering what the fuck is ha- gonna happen to kim like uh in in any way um and i was fully expecting this to s- be her downfall like i thought it was gonna blow up in their face and then yeah as it as this episode started to unfold not only were uh, was i 
um proven wrong thinking that i'm like oh they are actually going to get away with it but then yeah like you said i i i mentioned while we were watching it or maybe it was right after we watched it which was it get it right um but just like yeah like as you're seeing it play out in real time and you're like you already feel bad for howard we just like we're watching we're like oh god no howard um and then the, i love how they kept framing it around that portrait of chuck because it was already making me think of Chuck, but then they literally have a fucking portrait of Chuck. And a conversation about Chuck. And a Chuck. conversation about Chuck. And I was thinking... Also, we have to test that can thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, the can thing. We got to drop a can and test it. <laughs> I, I think it supposedly works. The writer of this episode, Thomas Schnauz... I have no uh, doubt it works. Like, <laughs> has said that it was something his dad taught him that it seems to work. But yeah. I love the the sort of symbolism of that this is like such a... It's like, that's Howard in a nutshell, this little moment where he yeah. seems like a little bit like smug and maybe patronizing, but also kind of genuinely helpful and maybe telling you something that's useful. Like kind of sentimental. But but, like... but it's also about like containing the situation. He says, <laughs> we wouldn't want our clients to have a surprise now, would we? Or something like that. That's just like, here he is, this tightly wound guy who just, even a soda exploding is something he's figured out how to control and namaste out of but, existence. Uh, he know. also- Oh I, yeah, this thing. Everyone's everyone on this show's level of planning ahead, I think, is so fucking impressive, and it <laughs> it makes me feel like I'm I'm doing a bad job as a person with anxiety that <laughs> I'm not at this level of planning for eventualities. When he pulls that chair out in the conference room and puts it to the side, I thought he was going to replace it with a different, better chair, but he just left it there, and I was like, why the fuck did he just leave that chair? And then he talks that lady into getting into the wheelchair and wheels her up into that chair directly across from the other attorney. I was like, he fucking knew. Yeah, he yeah. planned he that out that. way ahead he of time. He already planned having knew. her in the wheelchair to make her look more frail yeah. for this meeting. Everyone's so good at planning. Which to me felt like a total Jimmy move. I could totally see Jimmy making yeah. her get in the wheelchair. And yeah. like getting her, like maybe Jimmy would go too far though. Jimmy would put like a, a an afghan over her legs or something. <laughs> like that, you know? But so like just this spill some apple juice this, on her. The show does such an amazing job of of making you. I don't know, like feel like of like manipulating your emotions because with Chuck, like Chuck was a character. He was a horrible person. Like Chuck was a really really shitty person. And John, you recently messaged me and Becca and you sent us the, a clip from a couple seasons ago and it was the karaoke clip with uh, Jimmy the night that he he got his uh, law license or he passed, he passed the, bar, the bar right yeah. he passed the bar and it's this um, it's an amazing clip because it's it, it perfectly encapsulates how shitty Chuck is as a person because he doesn't he just like instantly takes over the the spotlight and Jimmy fades into the background and the show takes Chuck, who is an objectively horrible person, and you're on Jimmy's side, but you feel awful, awful, awful for Chuck by the end because he's literally driven to suicide. Like, he kills yeah. himself because of the shit that Jimmy has put him through and, like, the show has forced him to this point where you're like, well, I didn't like Chuck, but I didn't want him to kill himself. And I thought, like, there's no way they could outdo that feeling. And then they take Howard... <laughs> Who isn't even as shitty a person as Chuck, and they they treat him worse. Like he just gets put through ringer after ringer until we get to this point in this episode. A friend of mine texted me, "What a horrible last day alive!" And I was like, <laughs> oh. 
God. God. Oh no. Damn. Yeah. Like if it's like if I already didn't feel bad enough for Howard, the show is just like, nope, you're gonna feel worse. At the end of this episode. Well, don't you think that's like a, a, a tradition of prestige television, though, that you have this character that's kind of like in the back pocket of the show all along, and they keep him there. And these writers especially, they don't they don't bring characters back if they don't have story for them, but they don't keep characters... No one's off the table if they're still alive. And so somebody might be gone for a season and then be important. Mm-hmm. I feel like Clifford Maine has been a really has served a really good purpose this season, and I don't think Ed Bagley has been... You wouldn't call him a regular on the show at all, but he's such a welcome presence that when he pops up, there's this history of his character. You know, I feel like Howard's that character that is there to be played with when you need him. And then when you have a use for him, it usually is to say like, and I think Lost used to do this, you know, where somebody gets a showcase episode and you know, okay, this is the end for them. But I think other shows have done that too. I'm I'm sure that The Sopranos did, where it's like you suddenly focus on a character who doesn't normally get the focus. And if you like that character, you start to go, maybe I like it better when they don't focus on this character that I like, (laughs) because that means they're they're around a wisecrack (laughs) again. But as soon as they become the focus, as Howard has increasingly been the focus of this season, it really seemed like for the writers to decide, for our final season, we're going to spend half the the story Mm -hmm. watching watching them destroy somebody. That has to be a pivotal thing for everybody concerned. And I just want to throw this out there that like we've been focused on what happens to Kim that that pushes Jimmy final into that ugly chapter that we know as mm. Saul Goodman. I was like, oh, wait a minute. What if all along we've been misdirected and it's what happened to Howard in front of them that yeah. pushes them into that next ugly chapter, whatever it is. I no longer think they even need anything "Quote unquote bad to happen to Kim." All that that whole phrase. Yeah. Everyone's been wondering what happens to Kim. I'm like, what if we just saw what happens to both of them? And that's that feels like of all the little steps we've been thinking. Oh, maybe this is it. This really seems like a step that, like after this, there is no going back mm-hmm. to thinking it's fun. There is no going back for them or for us. Really, yeah. I, I don't know what you what you thought of that idea that maybe we've been thinking all along like who's the sacrificial lamb here and it always seemed like Kim would be the ultimate thing. It's like, well no, Howard's that right distance from Jimmy. He's not going to be destroyed by Howard dying or, you know, not being there anymore like he would with Kim. Um but it is going to shatter him. I agree uh, yeah, because the, yeah, this that's the kind of thing that would shatter Kim more than it would shatter Jimmy because yeah. this whole plan was mostly put into motion by her. Mm-hmm. You know, earlier mm-hmm. in the season, Jimmy was kind of like, are we still going to do this? You know, thinking that maybe she had given up on it and she was going full steam ahead. Um, so I think seeing such a horrible consequence to it is definitely enough to have a giant change in her character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think so. I like, and yeah, we were talking about uh, while we were watching the episode a little bit, like like predictions still, of like what could happen for the rest of the season. I still think, like, I think Lalo has to die just because it it doesn't make sense that he wouldn't die. He's such a... If he did die, then Jimmy wouldn't know about it in Breaking Bad. Unless that scene in Breaking Bad happens during the... Oh, right. I keep forgetting Walter and Jesse are going to show up. And I don't remember the timeline. Yeah. I don't remember we're, the years the things take place. We're still technically ahead of when he shows up in Breaking Bad, but that's not to say, like, the first... Like, By how much, though? We have no idea. We have no clue. Like, I think we we're a few years out. Is. I think we're a from few Breaking years Bad? out from Breaking Bad still. because But, but this show has been... It, they, they, I have not tracked it, but there are people who noticed where the timeline has advanced. <laughs> yeah. And I don't think it's quite, it hasn't been like Breaking Battle took 
uh, took the place over like a year and then uh, like he went away for a long time and then came back so it's like yeah. a two year span I think but also um, like Nacho's dead and Jimmy doesn't know that and Jimmy thought Lala was dead well, already and... it makes more sense like thinking about that line makes more sense for Lalo to be alive and Nacho to be dead uh huh because well, he says, did Lalo send you? Uh, but yeah. then he just says it was Ignacio. Yeah. So he could be blaming a dead person still. But he thinks that a, an alive person sent it, him. I, I've always thought that that's a possibility, Becca, because the, the question I couldn't answer for myself was, why would Jimmy throw Nacho under the bus? Even the Jimmy that we know as Saul, why would he throw someone yeah. who's real under the bus unless he knew they were dead? But mm. I'm beginning to think, like, what if Jimmy just doesn't believe Lalo's dead? What if he hears he's dead and he's like, <laughs> yeah, whatever you say? because oh, he already heard he a was dead time? once. Yeah. Yeah. I just, the only reason I think Lalo has to die, and I guess he doesn't have to die, but it's it, like, Becky, you mentioned during this episode, you were, you were saying you underestimated how scary Lalo is. Yeah. Until, like, God. he's so methodical. The whole cold open of this episode where we see him coming out of the fucking manhole to take a shower and go back in and wait and yeah. be in that little gutter right across from the laundromat. Like, the I was like, wow, his level of like meticulous planning is on par with Gus. He's just in a sewer and not like in his clean home. He doesn't strike me. And it's me. so much scarier to know that he's <laughs> so smart and methodical yeah. than just like an unhinged person because he's just a very evil person that's also really really good at planning and yeah. waiting and patience and the whole going to Germany thing. He yeah, he it's doesn't It's so much scarier. He doesn't strike me as the type of person who if he was alive by the events of Breaking Bad would not intervene. Like Unless he's figured out some way to flee the scene or unless he's like gone. I mean, I'm just saying I I don't But like I, even after like I mean Walter White kills you know, he kills Gus Fring but also B by extension, kills Hector Salamanca. Lalo wouldn't just like well, not Hector, hear about well, that. Yeah, Hector's his uncle. He's he's doing this entire thing for Hector. You know, so like he wouldn't just like hang. Like he's so intense, he wouldn't just hang out and like let all that shit happen. Like Walter White fucks up the whole like Don Eladio, the whole cartel, kills Gus. Kills Hector, kills literally everybody, like, eventually gets involved with neo-Nazis. Like, Lalo, I don't think Lalo would just be like, yeah, okay, and, like, hang back. That's the only reason why I think Lalo's I, dead I, by I agree the with events that. of Breaking Bad. I agree with that. I just am saying I don't assume I know what will happen to any of these characters. Um, oh, for sure, no. Just because I feel... I know everything. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I also feel like they do tend to go where the story seems to be going. And my thought is okay, the back half of this season is going to give us some part of the story where Lalo has Jimmy and Kim doing something for him could be mm -hmm. as simple as going to Hector and delivering a message. Like, could be as simple as that. Like, we wonder why does Lalo need somebody? Yeah. Well, his thought would be, who can do? Who can deliver something for me? That's what Jimmy did for him in the past. You know that moment in the sewer after he realized that the that the line was being tapped, and then he called back and he kind of set the sort of set the trap, not the trap, but just like manipulated uh, the mm -hmm. Mike and and Gus's other guys by by pulling them off the task, kind of just witnessing what it looked like when the guard changed over there. Mm -hmm. I, I felt like Lalo was realizing, okay, if I went in there guns blazing like I thought, I would 
get mowed down eventually because they've got so many guys in there. I would not be able to do it, but I'm glad to see, oh, and Michael, he was like, ah, oh, Michael, you know, he's putting it together. Who's involved? Yeah. Who are the players? And then he realizes, um, I don't even know if he realizes, but we realize that because he did that, there's nobody watching Jimmy and Kim. Yeah. And so Lalo's allowed to do that thing. I don't know if Lalo knew that. But I do know that he thought of Jimmy when he saw a cockroach. And I think that is a great, oh, a great. I like, was, I, see, I was being, I, I don't know, an asshole or whatever. No. When they panned to that cockroach, I was like, what does the cockroach mean? Yeah. When was the last time we saw a cockroach? Was well, there no, a cockroach on Breaking Bad? We wouldn't see that and not. <laughs> And like, we wouldn't like, see that and think something. it doesn't mean something. Exactly. But then I didn't even put two and two together. You did. Well, so it was, I think it was in the eighth episode of season five, Jesus which Christ. is called um, Bagman, where Kim you literally to, made a joke about this. I was this. making a joke about this exact scenario. Yeah. Kim goes to visit Lalo, remember? And that's when Lalo puts together, oh, he loves you and you're married. And he has this great moment of putting together like, oh, and she's like, he wouldn't just leave town with your money. And he's like, not without you. Like he's putting together these two or I can use these two against each other kind of. Oh, he's so smart and scary. And then she says... Yeah. Um, uh, uh, you know, something about like, I just want to know that Jimmy's okay or something. And he says, like, not, he doesn't say your guy's going to be okay, but he says, your man, he's uh, like a cucaracha. He's a survivor. Uh, okay. Do you remember all this stuff just off like the tippity top of your head? I, I, I had it in my mind like cockroach. Where is that before? And what where I also found was somewhere back when Breaking Bad was wrapping up and they were asking Vince Gilligan who might have another, who if they did a spinoff or if the sh story were to continue, which characters had more story. And he said Saul Goodman because he's like a cockroach. <laughs> he, he, he figures out a way to survive. Nothing can kill oh him. Oh my god! But it's like if that's if that's if they're reminding us of that, like all the stuff they're reminding us of this mm -hmm. season, like they're reminding us that Kim is from Nebraska. I still maintain she's three hours away from where Jean is. There's yeah. possibility of that. Uh, yeah. If she gets ruined or quits, she, going home to the town she didn't want to ever, you know, like her returning home could have some dramatic heft mm -hmm. to it. Um, I, a note I want to add: Ray Seahorn supposedly, when they were talking to her about her character's living quarters. She had the idea that they went with that she should not have any photos of her family or her past up in her <laughs> house, which they said they were glad that she did that because it then gave them this idea in their head of like, well, what is it that she's trying to get away from? And like, yeah. why would she not have any? So her returning home has this, you know, like there's a dramatic sadness to that of just why would he, that character ever go back to those beginnings, you know? Um, but um but no, I think there's, I think so. So I think there's room for all those little connections to come into play in whatever happens in this last half. But I think that what they've been doing is reminding us of things and reminding us that Jimmy is a cockroach is a way of saying, like, maybe that is his superpower that we might come to admire or at least agree with. That's the story of Jimmy. If all yeah. he does is survive at the end of this show, we might go, you know, la cucaracha. <laughs> well, yeah, he literally, he just keeps outliving everybody. Yeah. <laughs> like, he just keeps getting away. So don't you think, though, that now that we've lost... Okay, we've lost Chuck. We've lost... Let's not forget Werner was a new character who we liked who yeah. got killed, too. So yeah. we've lost Chuck. Yeah. I'm, just, we've lost I'm so Werner. glad Lalo didn't kill his wife. Jesus Christ. We've lost Nacho. We've now lost <laughs> Howard. There's a part of me that says, okay, if you're new, you're dead. <laughs> but I now look at Lalo and Kim and go, does it not seem more likely that they might find that they might dramatically say, don't assume every new character is going to die. But I feel like Kim is less on the chopping block right now than she ever has been because all these other characters have been killed that now we no longer need, 
You know what I mean? We just don't need that crossover from the drug world into the lawyer world yeah. to be her that gets killed. Or not that I don't think any of us actually thought she would be killed. I just think that's one of those things that people have talked about. And every now and then writers of the yeah. show would talk about it as though they were considering it. And it's like, eh, I don't know if they were really considering it. But now that seems unnecessary. Like Howard is the guy who's not part of the drug world who, who got killed. And that, like, and well, and yeah, Chuck wasn't either. And yeah. I think it would take a lot of bloodlust on the side of the fans of this show to mm-hmm. <laughs> to want to keep killing more characters like that. Right, yeah. kill someone like Kim. I don't know if I have ever thought like that Kim would be on the chopping block. I just I don't think she'll die as a character. It just doesn't make sense for her to die as a character. Maybe events will, would come up. That would make sense. But even still, she's so similar to Jimmy. Like, she's a kind of a cockroach herself, you know? Like, she's got a way of, like, getting out of situations. And even, like, I never thought thought Howard was going to die. But as soon as Lalo showed up, I was like, fuck, oh, no, Howard's going to die, like, right now. As soon as he showed up with that private investigator, I just... (sighs) I like I call so few things correctly, but I was like, he's gonna cross paths with Lalo yeah. by accident. Yeah, and that's exactly what happened. I said the same thing. I don't know if we said it on this show, but like just that. Oh, L- Howard's going to get messed up in something that he doesn't know is going on, and yeah. Lalo might kill him. I did not picture it happening like this. Same. I, but I, but I I think what they did in this episode, and this is back to my comparison to shows like Lost and whatever. I like that if you love the character of Howard Hamlin, or if you're interested in that character, you have scenes scattered throughout five years or six years of the show, and then you have one episode that really is like <laughs> tell the true story of who someone is uh, yeah. by making them suffer and by making them unravel. And it's like I, I mean I honestly I've always thought Patrick Fabian was great in this role. I thought he I thought this is one of the like this should be like Emmy consideration performance. He was Seriously. fantastic in this episode because I have you really a quick felt question. for him. Is this episode six? Seven. It's episode seven. Seven. Okay. So we got six. Because I was just thinking, like the first three episodes were very nacho focused. Yeah. And were. then I was wondering if it was another trilogy of episodes, but mm. maybe not. But close to because this episode yeah. also pushed forward other things, and they've taken time. Like Lalo's getting gotten pushed forward a lot. Well, he wasn't um, in like one entire episode, Lalo. Yeah. It right. felt like more than one, but I don't remember. I don't either. It may have been two, but it it, might have you're, been right, two, you're yes. right that yeah. it was like at the end of the first episode, which focused on him a lot, there wasn't anything in the second episode, which did begin to create this sense of where is he, which makes him, you know, I've been calling him Terminator James Bond. And I would <laughs> I would watch a Lalo spinoff if they figured out some way to make one. <laughs> well, they def- I, I mean, like, I think he's yeah. super charming and I like, I'm beginning to like him and I realized that. His, it, it's the competency porn that this show has always given us. <laughs> he's the like Christoph Waltz so and Glorious smart, Bastards. Him where, yeah, where you're just like, he's really scary and he's evil, but he's so charming. Wait, did you say he's in Inglorious Bastards? No, I said he's like Christoph like, Waltz in oh, Glorious yes, Bastards. Yes, yes. Where you're just like, you, you root for him, but you're like, wait, why am I rooting for him? He's, yeah. he's a fucking evil bad guy. They're just but, fun to watch. But like, yeah, he's fun to watch. Like, I love seeing him in a scene. He'd I like, haven't gotten there with Lalo. I'm just too scared of him. Well, I mean, I, I'm Once it's over, I'll appreciate and, him more. <laughs> I'm just saying that when I look at like who he's up against and the fact that to me, he's I, I describe him as a vulnerable character because he can die. Yeah. yeah. And like, 
we don't know what happens to him. But when the timeline mashes into Breaking Bad, it's going to create all kinds of opportunities to change what we were expecting or what we thought we knew. And it really might intertwine with that show in a way that changes things. But I really think what it's going to do is kind of course through that. And I I don't know how much we're going to get of Gene, but I went back and watched some Gene scenes, you know, the black and white cold opens. Gene scenes, Gene. And and it was cool watching those again and realizing, oh, they really do tell the story of like, it's a a pretty concise storyline. I think it's like, we see him going into work. The first one was just all about just establishing that he's, as he said when he was, you know, he said, I'm going to be managing a Cinnabon in Omaha. That wasn't just a joke. That's a literal <laughs> fate. So he's managing a Cinnabon in Omaha. That was like a joke with the audience. But it also showed us this this deflated version of Saul who was living, you know, with a bad comb over and a, and a, and a you know, used car salesman mustache and like going home and watching videos of his glory days, watching videos of his old commercials, mm-hmm. um, which just seemed pitiful. And he's in hiding and every, every, he jumps at every noise, you know. The next time we see him, he locks himself, remember, into like the trash room at the mall and he yeah. can't call the cops to let him out because it would- That might give him away. Or, right, might give him yeah. away. So he has to wait for someone to come and open the door so he can get out. Uh, the next one, he there's a kid that's shoplifting, and he hides he hides in the photo booth. And when the mall security comes by, he points him out. And then as the kid says "asshole," as the guys are carting him away, he yells to the kid, "Get a lawyer! Get a lawyer! Don't say a word! Get a lawyer!" You know. <laughs> and then he goes back to work at Cinnabon and passes out, which is kind of a Chuck thing to do at the time. That was making us think of Chuck, the fact that Jimmy would just okay. be standing there and kind of have like a nervous attack almost and pass out. The next one, he is in the hospital, finds out he was dehydrated, and then the cab driver seems to recognize him as Saul Goodman. Yeah, I remember that. The next one, he's working at the mall. It's really like, it's all, but it's all could be one episode about Gene thus far. You know what I'm saying? It's all kind of within a couple days. The guy goes to the mall and finds him and like says, yeah, I knew it was you. And kind of is lording it over. I mean, the guy's got like a physical kind of presence that's kind of imposing. He seems like he could be kind of a henchman or something, but he's also just a cabbie. Um, and he, but he's basically like, I brought a friend. Oh, he's just here to make sure that, you know, because uh, I wanted to show him, you know, we're fans or whatever. And he talks about how it makes him say it. And he's like, what do you mean? And he denies it. But then eventually the guy says, you got to say it. And he says, better call Saul. And then he makes him point and say it the old fashioned way. And then Jimmy calls the disappearer and almost makes arrangements to disappear again. Mm-hmm. And then, um, well, first he actually cases his own house for like a day or so to, to see if he if anybody's going to do anything. Then he goes, calls the disappearer. Then he, while he's talking to the disappearer, he looks at something and has a thought and says, no, call, call it off. I'm going to fix it and hangs up. So that's so, where they've left Gene in the future. Like, what, what, is, what did he is think of? Though, you know, like, like, what's going on? Like, I don't know if Lalo needs to exist. It can just be the threat of this cab driver, but it also can be that this guy seems to represent, like, some force that's, that might be trying to use him in some way or, you know, like, blackmail him or something. Yeah, it's, well, yeah, I don't know if I had, if I've thought about this before now, but, like, what would Saul, Jimmy, be running from in post breaking bed because he he basically bails when everything's going to shit towards the end of breaking bed but then walter white basically kills everybody who's like who's out to get him like the only the only people left to get walter white at the end are the authorities and walter white is left dying but in a this whole lab. time, Jimmy's been doing business with a lot of drug dealers. You know, yeah. we see the stuff he gets involved in in Better Call Saul, but the whole time he's in Breaking Bad, 
there could be other Lalos and, yeah. uh, you know, other situations. Well, but also, like, he's all over the news. Like, he's, there's this ex- huge story of this guy, Heisenberg. We, we know it's been all over the news. Yeah. He would be the one person to go to prison for this whole thing if he got caught because everybody else is dead. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that's what it is. Well, yeah, in the beginning of the season is the, I guess, the feds raiding his house, like taking right. yeah. everything away. Which tells you that while he was gone, that, you know, it's it's over for, it's like, there's no home to go back to. But he also has like that Band-Aid box full of diamonds that he dumped out in one of those cold opens as Gene too. So he, he could pull off some kind of crazy thing. It's just when, you know, it's that whole thing of if you've got to lay low, then you've got to lay low. Like... And if you've got a Lalo, then you've got mm-hmm. a Lalo. No, but I, I still think that Lalo could be a threat. But I do think that, um, and this is back to what I was saying before, I think giving Gus the, the plot line of take, or Gus and Mike, the plot line of taking down Lalo would be the the reason why you don't expect Lalo to live. You know what I mean? Like the real reason is it suits a narrative purpose to say, why did we tell this story of Mike and Gus as well as Jimmy? Like, why is this prequel mm-hmm. as much about them? It's like, you can't have those actors standing around for six episodes with no arc. So I think Gus is like, you know how Gus is kind of rattled by Lalo? I could see how that showdown becomes like the climax of the prequel part of the story. And at the end of that, Gus and or Mike have taken down Lalo and maybe he's like buried in the floor of the super lab or something that's like (laughs) this kind of grim poeticism to it. And that means Lalo's taken off the table that way. But still, Jimmy could not be present when Lalo's killed and think Lalo's alive or not believe that he's dead or never even hear that he's dead. We don't know. He didn't know that he was alive until he showed up at like a fucking- He still doesn't know Nacho's dead. Right. He said, well, that's right. He doesn't know. Yeah. But I guess Lalo, that next moment, that conversation is one I'm dying to- uh, Dying to hear, like yeah. while we're saying, let's talk. That's like, that's almost like, you know, it happened when when um, uh, when uh, Howard came in and he's reading him the riot act. Like, I love when characters on shows and shows like this earn it. Those moments when finally they are talking about the events on the show the way that we are talking about the events on the show right now. <laughs> Just like laying it out. Well, not to keep talking about Nacho like I always do, but the same <laughs> thing happened with Nacho. He finally got yeah. to spill a bunch of truth bombs. Yes. Right before he died in his last scene of his life. Two characters who both go out, a gun to the head, but before they go out, uh, um, they They they, lay it all out there. Yeah. He got to just say all the shit that we know as the audience, the other characters don't know, things that have been on our mind. We're like, oh shit, I can't believe you said it. It felt the same with Howard, where Uh we're like, oh, you said it. You called them Leopold and Loeb and sociopath. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And in both cases, it felt like a curse. It felt like a, Mm, and and he even said- Like a death sentence. Right, like, like- we all know the flickering of the candle, which was a brilliant visual device that to show amazing. us that, that somebody was, was entering the apartment or that something, you know, that the room pressure was changing. Um, but that also felt like, it felt like a curse because at this moment, Howard has just sort of told them he's not going to stop. Like, and he's kind of saying, yes, I will land on my feet. I mean, there is this moment of him, you know, the difference between the way he and Nacho goes, goes out is that like Nacho knows what's what's happening yeah. and howard is at, up to the last second maybe maybe a few seconds later he would realize he was going to go out but at this second where he's in mid sentence <laughs> you feel like oh he doesn't quite realize that there's no talking his way out of this yeah um but no i had the same thought becca of like man it's a it's amazing that we saw it on the cartel side and then we saw it on the the lawyer side a character gets to finally say what we've been thinking and also he even talks about all the reasons why someone might say howard like he talks about like he was the son of this guy, and so he didn't have to work as hard. And talks about oh, he's an asshole, so he deserves it. He 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 lays it out. He nails it so dead on. I thought that was such a great like. 
Yeah. Again, if you're going to go out, it was a great like way for him to leave a mark on them he's, before he went yeah. out. Yeah. He's telling them how much he has seen and he's showing them things that they haven't seen. Yeah. Like the stuff in his personal life and he even oh, notices yeah. them noticing it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, like, oh, you didn't know I yeah. was separated from my wife for what was like a yeah. year. And it, it's j- like just occurring to me, like him and Nacho, like in those deaths that feel so similar with the truth telling right beforehand. It's like they're punished for not playing the game anymore. Yeah. yeah. They're not playing along with the lies. Jim or Jimmy and Kim are um, still, for the most part, putting up their facade. Jimmy starts to slip a little and you see Kim look at him. Yeah, um, that was great. But they're st- still putting up their facade about the whole plan. Um, and Howard's just not doing it anymore. And it, it really, you know, even before he was, <laughs> even before Lalo showed up and we knew it was going to happen, kind of. Um, <laughs> I was just hoping he'd be like, I fucking figured it out. Here's your whiskey, you assholes. I'm going to dip out and uh, yeah. try to fix my life now. It really bummed me out when he said he was going to, you know, dedicate his life to ruining theirs and yeah. whatever. Uh I was also I keep, just, but still, I mean, it, it. You don't really blame him. <laughs> I was also just thinking about, like, just how, uh, in that moment, like that whole scene. That whole scene's amazing, but like how he comes in, you know, the way he does, Howard and Jimmy and Kim are constantly just being like, "All right, Howard, like, just leave. You should get out of here." Like, and they're. Lying. And they knew it would happen. They they're, knew it was an eventuality, and they were like, "Let's get it over with." Yeah, and let's now just it's do Howard this, knocking. Right. Like, I love when he came lying. in. And he said, "I hate to interrupt this." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're acting and they're lying. And they're like, "Howard, you should leave." Howard, you should leave. They keep putting stuff away. They're just yeah. like, "All right, get out of here," and he won't leave. And then as soon as Lalo comes in, and there's a shift in them, we're like, yeah. "Howard, you need to fucking leave." Yeah, and it's just like it's the boy who cried wolf, where he's like, he can't tell. That they mean it now. He can't tell that they mean it now because they just, they have lied so much and they're so awful. (laughs) Like they're just, they've become such awful people that they can't convince him to get out when they can see his life is literally on the line. Yeah. It is like, it's truly on them. It is 100% on them that he's dead because of what they've done and how they've acted. And that's, like you were saying earlier, it's going to, it's going to fuck both of them up. It's going to fuck Kim up, I think, way worse than it's going to fuck up Jimmy. Well, I think it, I think Jimmy's already fucked up. I well, think Jimmy's already J- fucked up because he already did it to Chuck, which is what I was saying earlier yeah. after we watched the episode. Like, Jimmy already pushed someone to death, and it was his own mm-hmm. brother. Like, mm-hmm. this is awful, and obviously Howard got shot in the head in front of them, and that's different. But, like, Jimmy's already... Jimmy already crossed a threshold when he pushed his brother when when like he couldn't help himself and he pushed his brother too far and didn't realize that's what he was doing but he pushed his brother too far and his brother killed himself and like that changed jimmy forever well let's remember what happened after that too jimmy blamed howard and howard actually took the blame on himself and we find out later howard's in therapy howard's doing the work uh jimmy hasn't i mean i love bob odenkirk and i love jimmy and i even love salt like i love in the world of drug uh you know, dealing murderers. Saul Goodman is like is like a fun guy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I like the, I like him. In the world of like people that are trying to do the right thing, he's a horrible person. You know. So I yeah. think that um, the fact that I like Saul Goodman more than I like Walter White does not mean that 
he's a good person. <laughs> in this episode, what I meant about that kind of pleasure oozing out of, of an amazingly pleasurable sequence, that opening part of this episode, by the time it got to the moment where it worked, I was fully in Howard's shoes. I was relating to all the times I felt like, fuck, if I keep talking about what I know is true, I'm just going to sound more crazy. Mm -hmm. I wasn't thinking about all the times, man, oh yeah, I wanted to take some asshole down. You know what I mean? Like, there is a there is a little guy against the big guy thing that Jimmy's scams can tap into that we like. I, I didn't feel that. No. And I think the, every no, glimpse was... we've gotten of Howard this season has been there to give us his humanity. Like the moment with the latte, the latte, the moment with the latte. <laughs> After Esposito, I'm doubting every pronunciation. <laughs> No, I was fully like on like Howard's side this episode. I mean, I've been on Howard's side yeah. for a bit this well, season. Well, it's shifted so much to yeah. where, you know, he doesn't feel like a bully. They feel like the bully. They are 100% the bullies. Yeah. That whole as soon as it as soon as this episode shifted to Howard and it, every second that went by, we knew their plan was going to happen. That it was going to work, gonna, right? And right. That it was yeah. going to work and he was going to get fucked over. Both of us are just like <laughs> just like stress drinking and like yeah. like god no like i can't believe it I, nikki and i just got really quiet we, we, when we're watching a show like that like yeah um, plus we usually watch it on like uh youtube tv uh live and so i'd been watching it with commercials and i don't mind commercials during this show even mm. though they throw a lot in um but i didn't mind them because it gives me a moment to pause and think about why that just happened and what the cockroach means you know that That's kind of thing probably smart <laughs> we're yeah. usually trying to eat dinner and we're like my stomach hurts but, but i watched it last night on amc plus through um through Amazon Prime. So it was uh -huh. like, uh, I don't know why I emphasize Amazon Prime. So we could have done Prime. that. Amazon Prime. Because your pronunciations are all wrong. I know, they're all off. I'm so confused. Amazon Prime. <laughs> <laughs> Amazon Prime. Uh, but but I, I was watching it with no commercials, and so I didn't have those moments to stop. And, and so we got more and more quiet and more and more like leaning forward on the couch. Yeah, it's really fucking stressful. Yeah. Super stressful. Well, when we were watching it, I was like, I'm talking out loud more than normal, but it's because I want to make sure to remember to say things on this podcast, because <laughs> otherwise I feel like they would all fly out of my brain and I'd have nothing to say. Um, I wanted to, be before we we finished, I don't know where we're going to finish, but uh, we've been <laughs> talking about a lot. before we finish. <laughs> we, we've been talking about a lot of heady stuff, but like you, you, um, Becky, you you vocalized this first, but just like to go back to a lighthearted scene, that first uh, not not the cold open, but the first scene of the episode when they are well, doing yeah. their reshoot. <laughs> and we I was were... thinking when this ended, oh it's going to be really hard to go back to the beginning because the beginning with the the film class was so light and fluffy and funny. Yeah. It's going to be hard I, to talk about that, but I do want to talk about it. Oh, my it. God. I just wanted to talk about it. And, and like, that Canon camera. Everybody yes. had that Canon. Like, oh, my God. The XL2. <laughs> he I, like, he literally said XL2, and I was like, that's a piece of shit. And then I was like, oh, wait, well, it's yeah, in the past. Yeah, you were like, yeah. <laughs> I forgot that this is in the past. I had a GL1, which was like the downgrade one. Oh, I had the GL2. I, I, I thought they were going to, when he said this is the shitty camera, I thought he was going to pull out the GL1, and I was going to be like, yeah. So, but Man, it was something I even worse. It was something even shit. worse. I would have loved it. If and that was the nerdiest gear talk gear ever. But no, I think that, that, that <laughs> no, it was, uh, how yeah. well observed this show is. Uh, and also, I, let's give credit to Thomas Schnau's writing and directing this episode. I mean, this is, you know, it's not a movie, but like, this is one of those things where, I don't know, like every little moment just piled up to something great. And I, 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 I'm loving the, the uh, character, like the film uh, crew. I'm loving the, the way yes. they're reusing classic characters and getting to see Irene again and her being great. Like, I think it's now sad and hilarious 
uh, that Irene has outlived Chuck and Howard. You Is know, she the 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 lady doing the conference call she was the little old lady or, that that they oh, brought the in oh, lady. Oh, okay. that is also the woman that jimmy gaslit uh she was in the first season no right? i hated that so much yeah. i don't even want to talk about it with, with the with the checks yes yeah. i have a weird sensitivity <laughs> to old people being sad that yeah. i literally couldn't get through those episodes without crying and i'm tearing up like every time i watch jurassic park i cry when john hammond eats ice cream and he's sad i can't watch old people be sad the number one thing you hate in anything in in any media is old people being sad and the number two thing you hate is um people being sad sad eating i do hate sad eating like not so just john hammond's like a double whammy yeah 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 exactly <laughs> he's a double hammy. Like, she she <laughs> No, um, no, Becca. I, was, I, I, I don't know if you listen. If you listen to this podcast, but when we when we talked about that Irene plotline from before, where he like bought her the shoes and then told her friends, "Look at those nice shoes she had," and he was totally ostracizing her from her friends. Yeah, I was, was like, horrible. I was oh heartbroken. God, I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah, that was a bummer. That's the moment where I saw what Jimmy's capable of and was like disappointed in him as a as yeah. a human being. Mm-hmm. And I've gotten over it since then because there's been murder and stuff. But like whenever I think about that storyline, I realize, oh yeah, that was the moment when i was like the show's <laughs> keeping it on that sort of fun scammy like the story of a con man and the and that the wreckage that they leave in their wake is an interesting idea for a drama you know because we we, we do like con men in stories a lot of times we, we root for people to be smart but, but then, like until yeah. you think about it and you realize how they ruin lives well, and then, until you think about poor irene not having friends anymore you know that's the thing about comedy it's not comedy in a close-up in a close-up it's a tragedy yeah. Yeah. and then howard Howard literally calling them soulless. And then we can look back at moments like that, like, well, you're not really exaggerating too Mm-mm. much. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, it, it's true. Like comedy and tragedy. Like if you take, if you take any, anyone in a comedy who's like the butt of the joke and just focus on them, it instantly becomes a tragedy. Like it's not funny anymore. It's just like cruel. Yeah. And it sucks. What's the Mel Brooks quote? Uh, 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 Comedy is when um when you fall down an open manhole and die. Tragedy is when I, I get a paper cut on my finger. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard that. You don't witness it as sad if you're watching a story and something ridiculous happens to somebody. What hits you is that little the, the human suffering. moment, the yeah. small moment, the relatable moment, and what we all saw. Like, I mean, I'm, honestly, I'm totally affected by the fact that Howard. We saw him in therapy, and that even in therapy, mm. his therapist had to remind him not to talk about business when he asked him how he was doing. And Howard, like, is laughing at himself, even saying, like, oh, you're right, I was doing it again, you know? Um, and then at home, like, the fact that he, like, whatever's happened between him and his wife. Oh, my God, the, the peace sign oh, latte thing. <sighs> Fuck. I felt yeah. so bad for him when oh she was pouring it into that cup. Oh, my God. They did such an amazing job of humanizing him, more than they've already humanized yeah. him. They've already humanized him in previous seasons. It's just, they were just... They took it too far. Well, we wouldn't have gotten that stuff at all if they didn't need him for the purpose That's of this. That's true, yeah. yeah. Like, he probably would have not even been in this season, or he would have been maybe in one scene like some of these other characters. But I love yeah. the way that they, like, the, you know, they gave him that kind of victory of knocking Jimmy out. Now, now you look back on that and realize that was the writer saying, well, we love Howard, too. So let's give him this this kind of victory of at least saying, if it really came down to it, you know, you could, he could lay Jimmy flat. <laughs> well, that was also an example of just Jimmy not being able to yeah. walk away. Like, yeah. Jimmy is unable to walk away from, like, a challenge. Right. But then Howard couldn't either. No. Nope. Well, because yeah. Howard set that up as, it's going to be this, it's going to be this fight, and then we're done. And, and then, then we see done. that Howard had the P.I. Yeah. No one on this show can help themselves except for Nacho. 
because I'm going to talk about Nacho again when we were yeah, watching it. Yeah, and that's what happens and to people who can help themselves. I said, Nacho did I it for his dad, you know. I don't remember at what point, or I think I was just thinking back to Kim doing the U-turn and going back. I was like, Nacho is the only one on the show that doesn't have hubris. Yep. Maybe Mike. Mike doesn't really have hubris. Yeah, but Mike was never that good of a guy. Like when we meet Mike, he was a corrupt Mm. cop who has who has retired or has been run out of the force. So it's like I think with Mm. Mike, what we've seen is he was all. It's he's that uh, always believe when a person tells you who they are. Mike has never. He's always been like, "Don't look at me. I don't want to (laughs) talk. You don't want to hang out with me." Like (laughs) perfect, Mike. (laughs) There's this quality to him that is so great though because he's so world weary. But I think that tricks us into thinking that we like him. And he's super competent. He's the ultimate competency yeah. point guy. Um, but like... But, all, but I mean, like his... I mean, he also... Uh, I mean, like the... It's not one-to-one, but the way that like Nacho... You're saying like Nacho doesn't have... <laughs> he's the only one without hubris. Yeah. In Breaking Bad, I, maybe Mike is also one of the ones without hubris because he... he it feels like they... Uh, sorry to cut you off, but I'm going to forget. It feels like they had a similar trajectory. They're similar, of, yeah. Of being in this world where Nacho wanted to get out of it. Yeah. And Mike just didn't want to, Mike just didn't want to get out of it. He knew that he was good at it. He knew he had to be there to protect the people in his life. So he was just going to do whatever awful shit he had to do to keep staying in it, where Nacho would do whatever horrible shit he had to do to get out of it. Knowing what happens to Mike, like yeah. the, the super... That is a very hubrisy moment. The super tragic end of Mike is like, he also, you know... Uh, tells the uh, truth to an asshole. He tells the truth yeah. to an asshole who then just like in a fit of rage murders him for no fucking reason and he just like and he dies for no for just basically no reason yeah but he couldn't stop himself he could have well i don't i'm not remembering it too well but i feel like he could have just it gone was, and didn't he he he's got his go bag he's left yeah. he's he's got he's arranged for money for Kaylee. i mean there's all this stuff that we know walter, that he's walter white has done like everything again like he's every time mike told Walter to do something. Walter did the opposite, and Mike is tried as hard as he could yeah. to fucking set everything right, and it didn't help him. And he and and the moment where that scene turns is when like because Walter wants the list of Mike's guys' names. I don't know if to kill him. He's he he wants Mike to give up his guys, the guys that work for him, because this is all going south. And I guess Walt might be looking to to kill everybody that knows or something. I can't remember the specifics I don't of remember. that. It was towards. But the I end. remember that Mike says no, and then Walt, um, as as like they're they're breaking company. Mike basically tells the truth to Walt, but Mike's a little bit wrong because what Mike is saying is we had a good thing going, and it's like. The good thing you had going was <laughs> Gus Fring. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So it's like the good thing that was going was not good. But Mike's point was you had to want, you could have cooked meth for the you rest of like, You could have just done what you were told. You could have just done your job and we yeah. all had the money rolling in and everything was great. And then uh, Walter is so insulted that he shoots, he basically gut shots Mike in the car. Um, and 
and he instantly in, regrets it. And I instantly re- regrets re- it because he realizes that. Lydia has the list of names too. And so he finds Mike and he's like, man, I'm sorry. I, I just realized Lydia could have given me the list too. I shouldn't have done that. And Mike says something like, why don't you just fuck off and let me die in peace? Yeah, I was just going to say, like, isn't his last verse basically like, go fuck yourself or something like that? I think it's fuck off and let me die in <laughs> peace, which is similar. Like, you know, And later in the same season, Hank says to, to Walt. I feel um, like that's what Yoda feels like when Luke won't <laughs> stop asking him about his dad. He keeps turning away. <laughs> and like, please. And looks like, wait. He's like, Ugh. please let me die. Sorry, go on. Every time we watch Return of the Jedi, Becca cracks me up during that scene because she's just like, Yoda just wants to die. Just, wants to die just let him die. Well, I've seen the meme of like, this is every parent when a kid won't stop asking them questions. Like, <laughs> but um, although I did Han Solo and Carbonite just then. No, but uh, when. Um, when when uh, Hank dies, he says to Walt, you're the smartest guy I know, but you're also the fucking stupidest or something like that, where it's like these characters, they do get in a lick before they go. Mm-hmm. You know, there's always that moment where like, and else, that, it's always- That old it's, Vince Gilligan truth. It's like somebody that's learning a lesson though by watching it happen. Like Walt thinks he can bargain his way out to save Hank's life. Like Walt has been haphazard with all this until he realizes he's, his brother-in-law is actually gonna die. And he thinks he can bargain his way out. And Hank's like saying, no, you can't bargain my way out of this, you know? <laughs> yeah. And Hank, I was thinking about how Hank's kind of like a combination of Nacho and Howard in terms of what he represented mm. to that show, which is that he's this guy who you kind of think is an asshole. And then you gradually realize like, well, he's, not my favorite kind of person, but he's a decent man, maybe, and he's trying to yeah. do his job. And yeah. the way yeah. that he's like Nacho is that he kind of knows the shit, and he knows he's dying out in this kind of I am accepting it kind of way. And the way that he's like Howard to me is because he does have this like flurry of that last wave of story for him where it seemed like he might be the guy to take Walt down. You did kind of start to think like, hey, you know, Hank is. It's kind of cool to have this showdown be happening now that now that um like Gus, I'm actually on Hank's side, yeah. Well, like Gus was dead, and so it was kind of a question of what's the showdown going to be, and it ended up being that with the white supremacists, you know, that was the real showdown. <laughs> um, but anyway, so I guess that's the question you have about this show right now is like, what are the showdowns going to be? And I think mm-hmm. that the question I have is. Gus Fring is like a guy who's he doesn't fuck around with like who's in his confidence, right? Who he trusts. At the time of Breaking Bad, he trusts Saul Goodman enough, yeah, for Mike to essentially be like a, a guy who works for Saul and works with Saul. What happens between now and then to make it? Right now, he's under Lalo's thumb. How does he go from being under Lalo's thumb to being someone that Gus Fring? Hmm. trusts you know that's a that's a question going into this back half of storytelling that i think is going to be that real connection to breaking bad because at at that point it is saul not just mike that works for gus but it's saul you know Mm -hmm. what do you have any thoughts about that i mean i have an idea of how if if we assume that that uh lalo's going down you can see how maybe those forces mike saul kim gus whatever combination of people that seems like enough people to figure out a way to take lalo down um but I don't know. What do you think about that? What do you think? What like? Do you have any idea of where? Well, yeah, it's let's headed? do predictions. Let's do <laughs> end, right now. End game predictions. Right now, my only prediction is I think that we're going to get a Gene scene at the start <laughs> of the second half. Okay. Because okay. we didn't get one this half. Yeah, I you're think right. we'll get one the next half, and I'm basing that on nothing. And it probably won't be true. I hope so. I'd like that. Yeah. But nothing, this episode did nothing but make me so much more afraid of Lalo and more 
believing in his competency that I can't even picture a team up that would take him down. Because everyone on this show, I mean, like you said a bunch of times, everyone on this show is so good at their plans. They're so competent and they're so smart and crafty and clever mm-hmm. um, that it feels like... <laughs> It feels like what Game of Thrones really wanted to be, but Game of Thrones, just in <laughs> retrospect, was so pulpy and fucking nonsense. This show feels like it's doing that thing they wanted to do, but so much better. That I can't, I I don't even know how factions will team up to take down other factions. I don't, I can't imagine what's going to happen. I, my prediction for the second so we got six episodes left right yes we have six left and and they've said that they they did not write it or break it or break it off into episodes thinking it was going to be split it was a 13 episode season that they were making and this just this seems like oh wow you lucked out with a with a half season mark but what i think is they could have made it six and then seven or eight and then five you know what i mean if there was some logical way to break it this feels like the best maybe cliffhangery kind of moment at which to leave us because like i said it is it is kind of fun to wonder one last time for a little while uh what's happening here and to release the tension until they come back and tighten the screws on us so yeah but there's six more coming so here's here's my wild like wild card prediction. Uh, I think they're going to introduce the events of Breaking Bad sooner than later. I I don't think a time it's jump. Gonna, I I guess a time jump again. Well, so I, I was trying to look it up when we were talking, and just from my general googlings, mm-hmm. um, it looked like Breaking Bad took place starting in two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. Um, and the consensus from what I was seeing on the internet was that the previous, this is season six, right? Yes. Yeah. So season five of Better Call Saul, the internet was saying takes place in 2004. Okay. So yeah, a couple of years ago. Uh, so it go. would be, the, you know, a four year time jump from last season. And yeah. I, I don't fucking remember what happened last season. If time has passed or if it just picked up. Is it weird to do two time jumps then? You know, like, is it weird to do a time jump to that period and then a time jump to the period of Gene, which we're kind of expecting to happen at some point? Well, and I was thinking when we were talking about bringing up the season, like, maybe they'll do a time jump um, when it starts. But then you just said they weren't even planning on breaking it up. So probably not. Yeah. I just Um, don't know how they know when that season took place. I don't know. There are close ups of of checks and and newspapers i mean there's there's ways that they see this stuff in just like there is in all the gene stuff there's some indication that it is like i i believe that we're meant to think that like the gene stuff is not that far in the future after breaking bad that he hasn't been living this life for too long um which makes it his state of mind seem that much more you know that he's he hasn't had time to relax into any kind of a life Uh, he's just watching he's over looking over his shoulder at every moment um well, so yeah. Then, then okay. Well, I, I, that's not going to change my prediction. Uh, my, my, my. Please change your prediction over that. My, <laughs> no, my wild card prediction. Um, I mean, this show, this show loves a montage. They could absolutely do a montage. Uh, that that is just like here's what happens in four years. You know, they could do that type of thing. I have no clue what's going to happen with Kim. I just want to throw that out there. I, don't I have... wonder if she'll feel too guilty now to continue pursuing, growing her career. Yeah. Like the stuff she was talking to Ed Bagley Jr. about. I wonder if she'll feel too guilty now to do that Mm -hmm. and just stay doing so much pro bono stuff that she's not really making a lot of money. Yeah. 
Or like John was saying, like move back to Nebraska. Yeah. Um, but you know they're about to have a windfall too, though. That's the other thing is they're about to have the money true. to bankroll. They settled, yeah. That that fucking tacky uh, oh, like mansion that he was in. I hadn't even thought know. about that. Yeah. That they're going to come into money. Yeah. Well, so I I think that um, the events of I, Breaking Bad are going to come in sooner than later. I I I don't think the show's going to end with him meeting Jesse and. Walter. No, you know, I don't think that's going to be how the show ends. It would cheapen this show to act like everything's been leading up to that. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. feel like I feel like what I've learned is that the stuff we're watching is more important to the character of Jimmy or Saul than the stuff that he ever did with Walter and Jesse. That that was almost like a detour that went too far. You know what I mean? For so him, I, and the fact that they like literally in real life let us know already that Walter and Jesse are showing up. Yeah. It's, if it was a secret they were keeping and then they showed <laughs> yeah. up at the very end, it would be one thing. But they were already like, all right, yeah, they'll be there. Everyone yeah, they're, fucking they're knows they'll be there. It, it it can't be that, it can't be like a last scene of the entire series moment. It would feel pretty stupid to yeah. have let us know so early. I think they'll come in, it'll be a glorified cameo, uh, but just to let you know, just, just to be like an intersection of like overlapping. I I think that will happen before Lalo goes out. I do think Lalo's going to die. And the this this episode I was like I was like I'm going to make a prediction. Mike kills Lalo. I think Mike kills Lalo. That's what I think. And then I think the end of this show will do us like you were saying a second time jump. I think there's it's going to wrap up the Saul shit and the I think the Lalo shit will wrap up the Saul shit. I think it will give us a, a, a glorified like epilogue. I think the end of the whole show will be Gene shit in color. Like yes. I think we're gonna jump ahead to finish his story, whatever the hell that means. No, I agree 100% with that, that we're going to catch up with Gene at some point in color. Because I feel like they knew what they were doing. It wasn't just that they didn't put a Gene scene at the beginning of this season. It was that they- say Gene scene. A Gene scene. What did we, we called them- um, <laughs> Yeah, we said Genarios. I don't know. We were, you know, we were drinking wine that night. I think. Um, Genette. Genette, right? But no, but but there is a um, but there is a uh, a thing where they started that that opening uh, sequence of the the days of wine and roses with uh, Saul's stuff being packed away. Um, that like was, was black and white. that was seeming like it was in black and white. So they yeah. know they're playing with us. So this yeah. color to black and white. And I could swear, I, I don't know if I dreamed this in the wee hours. Um, I after an episode like last night's, I, I can't sleep, and so I get ready for the show for about eighteen hours straight. Um, <laughs> I was uh, noticing there's some teaser for the back half, like they announced the the date, July 11th. You come back mm. for the last six episodes. I swear to God, it was a black and white shot of Jim, Jimmy, and Kim's apartment, empty. Hmm. Uh, we and, didn't watch that. And, and, yeah. and all you hear is Jimmy saying, and it sounds like he's like choking back tears or out of breath. And after all that, a happy ending. <laughs> and it's But it's a black and white shot of their apartment. And it was the first moment where I thought, oh, after all this black and white jean stuff, showing what we've been seeing, but in the black and white. I don't know that they need to do it, but I just, maybe I misread the teaser that I saw because it was a little thing I watched on my phone, but it was like, oh, you know, that's an interesting thing to think about like what the black and white means to us when we see those gene sections. It's as though it's all the color that's drained out of Saul's life. We think of him as a colorful guy. All the color's drained out, right? If suddenly we see like what we've, the world we've been watching in black and white, even if it's just for that teaser, it suggests that like the color's draining out of that world. And Maybe when we see Gene in color, it's kind of what you said, Jonathan. It's going to be now. This is where the real blood is pumping through this show. Even the teaser image for this whole season is black and white mm-hmm. Gene sliding on a red, uh, a red sports coat. jacket. Yeah, 
when they came up with that gene thing, they gave this show something special that prequel doesn't begin to describe it. The, like we we watched uh, we were watching Moulin Rouge last night, and we were like talking about how uh, like Baz Luhrmann is very specific with what he does, like and even just like the, the color and shit and how yeah. vibrant or non vibrant stuff is. Like, well, he's doing that on purpose. Like, that's not just the color temperature. Color temperature is on skin. Even yeah. If it's a fucking wacky, ridiculous movie. Yeah. I mean, it's wacky and ridiculous, but like, it's not like Baz Luhrmann is just like, oh, oops. Like, he's <laughs> he's specific. And I would say that this show, you know, Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, like, everything they do has a fucking point and purpose. It's not, nothing's like accidental, like, oh, oops, that's not what we meant. Yeah, like, yeah. they right, mean right, right. exactly what they're doing and showing you. So there's a specific purpose and reason for anything that we're seeing, whether, yeah, it's black and white or in color or whatever the hell. Um, well, I like all these predictions. I, the only reason that I think that the time jump happening now seems unlikely is that I think we all want to see what that, talk what what is lalo immediate aftermath what yeah. that scene for that sure next moment is well, we were also just like well like what about howard's body <laughs> like, yeah there's right. gonna be some fallout dead bodies in their apartment the business of that yeah john was like how are they gonna deal with that and i said they'll probably pretend it's a suicide but mm -hmm. you know who knows that's a big fucking deal to have to Solve, huge deal. especially a, when Howard's been ranting about them ruining his life and now he's dead in their house. Yeah, they're not going to be able to excuse him being uh, missing. Well, now that Clifford Maine is the one who might know enough to put it together. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, I mean, because he's the only one who could say, you know, Kim, I, I didn't believe Howard until he until he disappeared and then you did this, you know? Like, yeah. like, so she could still be ruined in the legal world by that occurrence, but I still think that... Now it's going to be much more about what does Kim do? What is this resourceful, scrappy character who probably now is realizing, oh, I fucked up big time. Does she just break down or does she rally? Um, and we can look at Saul Goodman as a form of rallying. This whole show was conceived on the question, and I loved, I don't know if it was Vince Gilligan or Peter Gould who, who, who said this, but that they said about answering the question, what does becoming Saul Goodman solve? Hmm. And so for Jimmy, sometimes the problem is just being Jimmy. And, and even though we know Saul is Jimmy... Um, but maybe just with a few more of those those pieces missing. And 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 so I don't look so much for turning points of, oh, now he's become Saul, but I do look for moments where Jimmy has another piece hacked out of him. And like I, I've zeroed in on that shot of him seeing Lalo come out of the darkness. His brain breaks. That is a brilliant and one-shot moment of acting for Bob Odenkirk. Yeah, the first thing he says is how. <laughs> he can't find his breath. Mm -hmm. It's a ghost to him. To Kim, yeah. it's like, oh yeah. Yeah. So this obviously closes the loop on the whole Jimmy doesn't know and Kim does know about Lalo. I mean, that's all over now. And I'm kind of wondering what we got out of it in terms of the story. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I, the best I can guess is that in this moment, we were not thinking about Kim's reaction as much as we were Jimmy's because we knew that Kim knew that Lalo might show up. Mm -hmm. Whereas Jimmy is seeing something in front of him that's like an impossibility, but it's also happening at the worst possible time. And he's beginning to sense that this is going to go poorly for for somebody, and, and it's probably Howard, and Jimmy knows that. And it's so it's like you sense that he's watching a train wreck in slow motion. And so if that look on his face is the payoff to that whole thing, I'm fine with that. But I do wonder if maybe he's going to find out Kim already knew, and that could drive a wedge between the two of them going forward. Yeah, that's interesting. So, 
Yeah, in terms of predictions, I don't know, but it does seem like they've got to spend a certain amount of time on the aftermath of of that scene, and then they've got to spend a certain amount of time overlapping, crossing over with Breaking Bad, and then a certain amount of time for the part of the story that I feel like everybody's maybe most interested in, which is the Gene chapter. Yeah. Like, that could be the heart of this whole thing. And then what happens to Gene? Yeah. Where do we I, leave? I, I feel Gene? like that's the big. I feel like that's the end game. Like, does that's anyone else show up? Question mark at the very end of the show. Yeah, is like what happens to Gene? Even more than what happens to Jimmy and Saul. Yeah, does he find some way to go public as Saul Goodman and not take the fall for something? Does he find some way to concoct a story that makes him look like he was innocent or he didn't? Or know? maybe he just goes to jail <laughs> like maybe maybe it catches up with them maybe well, that's nobody's the point. done that yet if we think about this yeah. universe yeah. walt dies in a pool of his own blood jim uh, Je- jesse, jesse escapes jesse escapes yeah rightfully so i'm does I'm, saul go to jail yeah i don't want him to go to jail guys i don't want him to go <laughs> i don't want him to go to jail but also like after all the things i've watched him do in this show specifically i'm like you kind of deserve to go to jail right you've ruined a lot of like especially this season with the howard shit and then thinking back to the chuck stuff it's just like you don't you're you're a bad person you are he is a bad person as much as i love him He's a bad, he's a very bad person. I still think that that part of the fun of watching a show about a con man might be that he pulls something off that gets him out of trouble. But if what happens is he gets Kim out of trouble by taking on some responsibility, Mm. then that makes that final moment feel like what I'm looking for, which is some kind of like, not just, oh, we see the end of this character, but that it ends in the fashion that this character was forged, which is a schemer, a, a, like the fun of this whole show, that they, they love showing us the details about like scams and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of learned not to predict things, but so often they do <laughs> what you're expecting them to do, just they do it really well. So it could be that everything we're just saying right now, we believe it might happen and then it will happen because this show is good at, I mean, a good story shouldn't be a mind fuck every time. You know, sometimes it's all about like laying down, all, like putting these pieces on the board and then saying like, watch them interact. And you know what I mean? It's something kind of satisfying about watching the the, the final section mm-hmm. of a story click into place. Um, I don't need to be shocked. I just want it to be good. <laughs> yeah. And when they're doing so much character development, we should be grasping the motivations of the characters. It yeah. would be a failure if all of a sudden they did something so out of character that we never could have seen it coming. Yeah. Even, yeah. We At this point, the going into the final half of the final season, we should know them well enough to at least have kind of a gist of what they could be doing or thinking. Right. Even, even at this point, if they did exactly what I thought they were going to do, if it's earned, I'm going to love it. Yeah. They're uh, not going to fucking do anything we think. They're not going to do it for, yeah. First of all, they're not going to do what we think they're going to do. And second of all, it's going to be earned because yeah. this is one of the best shows. And if they do it, they're going to do it in a way we still period. didn't see coming. Well, exactly. Yeah. The the stuff that we said happens still might happen just in a completely different, circuitous way. Yeah. And it'll, and it'll be better than we think we, we said it was going to be because... I don't know. They're better storytellers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's that attention to detail that makes you think that they're going to pull it off just like they did with Breaking Bad, where it's mm-hmm. like, it's going to be satisfying. It may not like be this like yeah, for sure. experimental piece of storytelling that breaks the rules of storytelling. It might be, but it might be something that really just feels like a, you're putting together a puzzle and that last puzzle piece, when you put it in place... You want to stand back and take a picture of it, you know? Getting, <laughs> getting into the finale of Breaking Bad, I remember thinking like, well... I mean, it's it. There's not a lot that can happen, and they like 
there were still things that surprised me in the end. But it's like, well, he's either going to die or he's not. If he doesn't die, he's going to go to jail. Like, there's there's only a few things that could happen. And, like, those things happened, but they still happened in ways that were satisfying and surprising. Like, they still managed to, like, make me, you know, love watching it. I totally agree. You know what the real climax of that show was? Was the moment where he confesses to Skylar that it wasn't just, that he didn't do it for his family. He did it because he, did it he liked it. it. Yeah. yeah. That's like the reason you go back for that episode, because otherwise it ends with him in that cabin just wasting away. Yeah. I do think of it as almost like one show. I'm constantly thinking about it as though this is like season 10 of the show that I've been watching, <laughs> because I do think it's kind of a through line, but it is different. And so, yeah, we can look at that. Again, you can look at all the endings they've given these characters and decide, like, what kind of ending does it seem like they're setting Jimmy up for? It does seem like being forced to answer for everything could be the the resolution, as could finally finding the ultimate weasel out, you know, <laughs> escape. The, the ultimate end, yeah. They both seem as appropriate as the other. I still want to see him knock on Kim's door. I don't care. Uh, <laughs> yeah. My heart beats for that couple. 100%. Me too. <laughs> they are as, perfect as for much, each other. As yeah. much as it Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, if we're if they're setting him up to be the cockroach, then I, I now at this moment feel like, he absolutely has to survive mm-hmm. unscathed. I mean, a cockroach could live in jail, but I just don't think Jimmy will. Yeah. Or Gene or Saul or whatever. Or whoever the, the hell he is. <laughs> <laughs> Whichever one. Skippy, <laughs> the new identity. <laughs> <laughs> I just have one final thought. The very beginning when they were doing the reshoots and particularly for some reason when Kim was yelling to them and then she took her shoes off to run across the grass. That gave me such vivid flashbacks to being in film school. I can't even tell you why. I probably never did that. No. But it felt so fucking real to being on your college campus. Yeah trying to fucking tell someone some direction they don't hear you and just sprinting back and forth with so much seriousness to make the dumbest garbage crap ever that's what i was so serious about it it just made me so happy yeah it it felt like so it felt so real of like so well observed all the stuff with that crew of of kids was always super well observed and super funny and i maintain there is that alternate version of this show if they had done like the half hour comedy version they would have been on every third episode helping Uh, film some stupid thing you know when i brought that scene up earlier i that's what i was trying to get to was us talking about because we were we were fucking dying during that scene because it's like and every single person who ever been to like film school in college that is that is a scenario that you have lived is yeah filming something on campus someone sprinting in last minute with the film for the camera someone screaming from like 50 yards away action like i can't see your arm yeah like turn around (laughs) what like i can't yeah just like oh my god that whole that whole fucking thing that was amazing like yeah three people shooting some dumb bullshit well, like people With, are like all the well, seriousness of the weight past of their you in the background. Yeah. yeah, I loved it. Oh my god, that was perfect. And then we all developed the pictures and then coated them with like a a psychoactive resin <laughs> that was going to make someone's eyes dilate. <laughs> yeah, of course, and exactly what you do rate. in film school. Exactly, yeah, exactly. That's what film school is all about. Um, well, I hope that I can have you back to talk about one of these uh, or a couple of these or all of these. Who knows what will happen? But I would love it if you'd come back and talk to me when we find out more uh, after yeah. July 11th. Um, but thank you so much for this. This is super fun. And, I, you know, we don't normally do plugs on this show, but um, since we're just kind of this is relaxing, why don't you talk about where people can find you and other podcasts you might be heard upon? 
and 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 wherein you might be heard. <laughs> <laughs> well, since you asked, uh, we have uh, two two CD reads is still going or no? Sure, sure. Three. Hey, this is the official announcement that CD reads is still going. <laughs> we have, we have several podcasts. You Great can theme song. Um, find us on. Um, so good. Cactus Don't know Rodeo. where we found that artist. <laughs> so lucky. Uh, if you go to cactusrodeo.com slash podcast, you can find what our shows are. The shows that we do most often are below grade level, where uh, Becca and myself and uh, our friend Chris co-host and read uh, children's books. John is a frequent guest. And, uh, and the other show that we have is called The Sketchy Show, and it's an improv sketch comedy podcast. Uh, and it is hosted by Sketchy, the improv sketch comedy robot, but it also well, features... Why couldn't we get Sketchy? We tried to get Sketchy for this episode. But she's I... she's uh, elusive. She's she doesn't totally like to... She only, she only comes out for a few things. But um, if you want to hear me and Chris and John uh, and occasionally Becca being incredibly silly, incredibly silly... Then listen to the sketchy show. And uh, CD Reads is hosted by Becca and our friend Kelly. Uh, and we, you guys read and talk about romance novels. And I love it. I thought you talked fun. about seeds. Thanks. I thought it was a gardening show. I, I'm going to have to go back. No, it's a great... We'll it's a great that in. It's a great listen. You kind of take a different genre of sort of online. I can't tell like if it's always like something that's available online, but it seems like you choose something that's pretty it's widely always, available. Yeah. It, it started with um, free slash like a dollar... Uh, Kindle romance novels, and then we started branching out into some like actual legit ones. And uh, yeah, we were just stunned by the amount of genres there were and <laughs> wanted to be able to talk about it in public to people. Um, and, and and Kelly, we should mention, is sometimes on the sketchy show as well. She's a very funny person, too. Yes, um, yes, she is. We have a we have a somewhat of a, a rotating roster of talent on there. Well, you know, it's funny, you mentioned that the sketches that we do on that show are very, very silly and, and also suddenly very dark. <laughs> and then... That's kind of our thing, yeah. So I, it, I, I'm not even blaming you, John. I'm just saying that, like, you you completed... <laughs> it sounds like you're blaming him. No, like, it, the sketchy show started as mostly me and Chris doing shit together and we would, you know, pulling from a backlog and, and occasionally doing stuff with other people. Um, and then we started doing sketches with John... Because you seem to have the same sense of humor. And then once we did that, is I think when it clicked that the three of us uh, have a very similar uh, idea when it comes to what's fun improv sketch comedy. And that idea is usually, here's a silly idea. And then when you run with it, it turns dark quickly. <laughs> and uh, the, it, it occurs to all of us when we're doing it. And none of us care. <laughs> right. None of us do anything to steer away from it. That's none the of thing. us none of us steer it in a lighter direction. It's always very, very dark and funny. I have a fun time doing yeah, it. Yeah. I do. And um <laughs> I will just say to people, if you're listening to this show, you probably have already found it, but if you somehow are hearing the show and you don't know what FYIZ is, FYIZ is the multi podcast feed. If you subscribe to FYIZ or the people if you notice they like to say follow now, all the podcasting apps, they say follow. They don't say subscribe any longer. Follow this podcast. You just look for FYIZ as though it was the call letters for a radio station. In fact, the next week after this, a new show uh, is going to be coming out. So subscribe to the feed. And yes, there'll be something new. And if you're out there listening, thank you so much for hanging in there. I didn't know I was going to do this at all. And then I decided to do it. And we've been keeping it weekly. And that's fun and uh, nice. So um, until next time, I think I'm in the middle of something. That's what Howard said right before Lalo killed him. Oh, fuck. Oh, God! <sighs> <laughs>
Bye. I think I'm in the middle of something. I should not have barged in here without an exit plan. I was a lonely man and now it's over. Sing along now. I think I'm in the middle of something. I should not have barged in here without an exit plan. I was a lonely man and now it's over.